0: Welcome to 900 Ackland Avenue. This is the podcast for the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ. What follows is the service from April 3rd, 2022. Thank you and God bless.
1: Good morning. Welcome to Ackland Avenue. It's now nine o'clock Ackland time. So go we'll ahead and get started. Um, Hey, welcome everybody here. Welcome to for visitors. We've got a few out still uh, still spend the night from the from the retreats. So let's open with a uh, with prayer this morning. Holy God, we assemble this morning as a group of believers with a like mind and a common purpose to to worship you, worship you with songs of praise, uh, and to grow spiritually and to, to grow together as a community help us to be able to, to focus our minds for the next couple of hours on, on spiritual matters and not try to be not try to get distracted by um, all of our, the worldly concerns which which consume so much of our time let your spirit be among us as we worship that our songs would be joyful uh, and would be, would be praised to you and that the word would be Uh, uh, taught and received in truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Our opening scripture comes from Isaiah 43. Thus says the Lord, Who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters? Who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior, that they lie down? They cannot rise, they are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and waters in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. 136.
2: Faith of our fathers lives. No. Oh. Down. Lord, give us such a faith as this, and then whatever may come, we'll taste in him the hallowed bliss.
3: So I'm going to be reading from Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, even our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the desert. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carry seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Let's pray. Holy Father, thank you for this beautiful day. The sun is shining, and the weather is warmer, and spring is coming, And it's just a really exciting time to be alive because there's just joy in nature coming out of the cold darkness of winter. But nature doesn't always reflect what's happening in our hearts. And a lot of us are still in a time of dark, hard things. And our world is full of hard things right now. And there's a lot of grief and there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of death, and there's a lot of darkness. And so we cling to scriptures like this because they remind us that the world is not all there is and that we can see your strength in nature and we can be reminded of the eternity with you and the joy that we have no matter what is happening. And we honor those hard things but we we want to find joy in you despite those hard things. And thank you for verses like this that tell us that we are not alone, that we are not the first people that have had these hard times and that have gone out weeping, but have come back full of joy. Thank you for your presence with us this morning, God. Open our hearts to hear more from you and to see you today. Something wonderful that we can hold in our hearts to go with us into the week. Thank you for Jesus. It's in His name we pray. Amen. you find a supplement book? Hopefully they're spread out evenly enough. Turn to number 22. Technically,
2: B22. Faithful love, flowing down from the thorn-covered ground, makes me bold, saves my soul, washes wider than snow. Faithful love, daunting fear, reaches down, dries each tear. Hold my hand when I can't stand on my own. Faithful love. With grace, faithful love, endless power, living flame, spirit's fire burning bright in the night, guiding my way. Faithful. is his name and please mark 726 after, after the lesson I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. He'll pray hands i onward bound. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Lord, lift me up. Higher ground, my heart has no desire to stay where doubts arise and fears dismay. So, some may dwell where these abound. My prayer, my aim is higher ground. Lord, lift me up. higher ground. I want to live above the world. Though Satan's dark at me are hurled, for faith has caught the joyful sound, the song of saints on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand my faith on un- my feet on higher ground. I want to scale the utmost high, and catch a gleam of glory bright. But still on pray till ten I found, Lord, lead me on to higher ground. Lord, lift me up higher ground.
4: Good morning. Good to see everybody. A couple of things before we begin. Uh, grab Bolton. bulletin. Our, our gospel reading will be John chapter 12 here in just a second. We had a great retreat this weekend of Cedars of Lebanon. Our theme was overflowing coat, Bob designed some amazing t-shirts, and we have some left over. We have some adult sizes, tons of kids sizes. So kids especially, if you weren't able to go this weekend but you want to grab a shirt, we'd love you to grab one. They're real comfortable. Bob did a great job on it. And uh, we have about 17, 18 teenagers still up there at Cedars of Lebanon. They're not alone. We we left a few uh, adults with them. Uh, they'll get back around 11 o'clock. A little bit of a warning. They may not have showered in a while, but, uh, but we'll be glad to see them when they all get back. Secondly, um, one of the things we've been talking about in recent months through our Rooted, Gifted, and Called class has been, man, as we... Continually trying to get back from all that we've been through, trying to make sure that all of our ministries are organized and staffed, and we've been going through a deacon process. that That is still ongoing. You know, as you've probably discovered this in a lot of areas of your life, getting back is just kind of an elusive type of thing, but we're still working at it. And uh, there are forms in the back about the deacon process, but even more important than that, we just love for you to chat with Matt Brown or Paul about that. Just thoughts you have on on our ministries and how our church is organized, and we're really excited about that. So let's begin. At the end of the book, Bearing His Name, Job has this great line where he says, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And it's this sense that he had heard about God, but now he knows God in a deeper way. I think a lot of this, a lot of us have had experiences like this in our personal lives where, you know, you, you've you've known your grandparents your whole life, and then suddenly they pull out this amazing story about their experiences in the Great Depression or World War II or Korean War or whatever it was, and you're like, whoa, now I really feel like I know my granddad or my grandma more than I ever had. For those of you that have been married, you know, you can be married for years and years, and then someday you say, boy, I... I found out something new about them. You know, that I'm just knowing them deeper and deeper because of this. Some of us have been going to church together for a long time. And yet, through some of our recent experiences, we're like, I know them even deeper because of this. And this is how Jesus reveals himself to his disciples, and this is how Jesus reveals himself to us. We never get to a point where, like, I know everything there is to know about Jesus. Like, we're continually getting to know Jesus more and more and more. And every time the disciples feel like they understand Jesus, they're like, I get Jesus. I know Jesus. Jesus takes them to a deeper level. And specifically, the gospel is kind of divided up into this. Who is Jesus? And then they finally figure out, oh, he's the Messiah. He's the anointed one. And then Jesus is like, but I'm not the type of Messiah you were expecting. They had heard of Jesus. But now they get to see him and they get to know him. And this is the progression of the church seasons. You know, in, in Epiphany, we revel in the truth that God has come to earth and such an exciting time coming off the Christmas season. And we do all these scriptures about the incarnation. We have not been abandoned to our own devices. God has come among us in this world. And it's so exciting. We have all these expectations of what life with God will be like. And then we enter the season of 40 days prior to Easter, known as Lent, where we're like, God does not always meet our expectations. God is sometimes different than what we've anticipated God will be. There's this counterintuitive nature to discipleship, and we enter into that. But then Easter's coming. Next week is Palm Sunday. We're going to be doing our Egg Hunt. We always do it a week early on Palm Sunday. But Palm Sunday and the Good Friday and the Easter, we're almost there. It's right around the corner. Larry, I'm sure, will lead in the grave he lay. I always feel like there's going to be one Easter where Larry just doesn't lead it just to mess with us, right? But, uh, you know, it'll be an exciting Sunday, and it's coming, and we will just relish. All, it's all going to come together, right? But we're not there yet, right? And, and that's the progression that we constantly face in our life of, of knowing Jesus more and more. I like to think of it this way. Notice the language people use. Some people refer to to faith a lot, Talk about the Christian faith, the Christian worldview. Some people talk about the Bible a lot. Some people talk about God a lot. And then there are people that spend a lot of time talking about Jesus. Now, I use all those words, and I think all those words are very important, but notice how there's a progression from the abstract to the personal. We're talking about creator, God, Christian worldview, but it gets more personal when we start to talk about Jesus. And I have people in my life who spend a lot of time talking about Jesus and they talk about Jesus as if Jesus is real because, of course, he is. And you know these people. You'll walk up to them and they'll be like, you know, I was thinking about Jesus the other day. You know, I was talking talking to Jesus this morning. You know, it reminds me of the time that, that Jesus did this. I didn't want to do this, but Jesus said, nope, that's what you're doing. You know, And they talk about Jesus in such a way that you're like, was Jesus here 30 seconds ago? Like, I just walked in the room. If I had walked in 30, like, would I have met Jesus too? And it's just so personal. And it's like Jesus has been in the room because they have not just heard of Jesus, they have seen Jesus. In our scripture this morning, John chapter 12, we see that Mary, sister of Martha, sister of Lazarus, has not just heard of Jesus, but she has seen Jesus. Jesus. So if you would stand with me for the gospel reading this morning, and if you want to join with me in the bold section, feel free. It's on the back of our bolts here, John chapter 12, 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table together. Having charge of the money bag, he used to keep him, or help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. This is God's word. You may be seated. All four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, have a story of a woman anointing Jesus. And sometimes in gospel studies, we look at these different stories and we're like, what's going on? And sometimes you can even uh, find yourself in a place where people are like, which one is, is the true story? One of these is right. Others these have been changed. And, and sometimes that's when people have a default, su- default suspicion towards the Bible, trying to find the mistakes or something like that. I don't think that's the best way to look at it. I think, first of all, it could be that more than one person anoints Jesus. It could be this type of story happened more than once. But also it could be that from time to time, the gospel writers use a little bit of artistic license, kind of frame these stories in different ways. None of these things caused pause for ancient readers, even if they might cause pause for modern readers today. So let's kind of look at these four gospel stories of anointing and kind of see specifically what John seems to be wanting to bring out in his. So in the Matthew and Mark version of Jesus being anointed by a woman, the woman is not named. But the story does happen in Bethany, just like John. And we know that Bethany is the home of Mary, Mar- Mary Martha, and Lazarus. One of the things that's different from the John story is that in Matthew and Mark, the woman anoints Jesus' head, much more typical when we're thinking about anointing, and we'll get to that in a second, the John version, anointing his feet. Now, in the Luke version, we also have a woman anointing his feet, wiping his feet with her hair. This woman is not named, does not seem to be in Bethany. She's referred to as a, quote, sinful woman. It's doubtful that this is Mary, the sister of Martha, and Lazarus. Normally, although it's not said, people attribute this to Mary Magdalene, and you've probably heard that type of thing uh, before. But once again, these stories could have happened more than once, and there's a type of framing that could be going on. So what specifically is John trying to bring out in his version of this story? Why is Mary... The sister of Lazarus, the sister of Martha. Why is she doing this on this day? Well, the opening verses tell us the context. What happened in John chapter 11? Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And so this story follows right on the heels of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Jesus had come to Bethany because he had heard that Lazarus was on his deathbed. He raises him from the dead. He heals them. And then Mary is overwhelmed with gratitude. And what she does here seems to flow out of a sense of thanksgiving, out of a sense of gratitude. Jesus came to her in her darkest moment when her own brother had died. Jesus showed up and brought hope and resurrection. So, if you had bumped into Mary on the street, if you'd bumped into Mary at school or at work, if you'd bumped into Mary at a coffee shop, and you'd said, "What is, what has Jesus done for you?" She would have talked your ear off (laughs) because Jesus had done so much for her. You know, I think that's a question we need to spend more time thinking about. Not not whether or not it's true or not, or sometimes not even whether or not it's good, but whether or not it's it's beautiful. And what has Jesus done in your life? I'm really excited we've been doing this evangelism study that Robbie's leading us through in, in Sunday morning class, even though I haven't been up in it, I've been down with the teenagers. But I confess I've struggled with sometimes with kind of the nature of evangelism in my life. And sometimes I think it's because I've overthought it. And it's become kind of heavy, like you're trying to convert someone to a different worldview, a different belief system, something like that. And while that may be true, that can seem very heavy. I think the best way to think about it, and people that do it best, I think this is spoken of even in the book we're looking at, is to think of it as just share what Jesus has done in your life. And if it doesn't flow off the tongue, what Jesus has done for you, I don't think any of us should feel guilty about that. But maybe it invites some introspection. What has Jesus done for you? And not abstract notions like, well, you know, the legitimacy of the Christian faith or I believe in an inspiration, and authority of the scriptures or that type of talk. But just ah, Jesus, the Jesus that's that's in the room with us today. What has that Jesus done for you? And Mary would have a lot to say if you'd asked her, what has Jesus done for you? And in her response, she does, she does this grand gesture. I mean, notice how expensive this perfume is. It's a once-in-a-lifetime type of feet. And then, um, friends, this is his feet. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but a lot of you probably aren't feet people, right? <laughs> okay, there, There's a reason we don't do this type of thing. Feet can be gross, right? And then not not just his feet she's wiping his feet with her hair this is this is the grand gesture this is the grand gesture have you seen people do various forms of grand gesture i know a lot of our teens have been going to prom recently or have have prom coming up do you remember when you're in school and somebody was really trying to convince somebody to go to prom with them so they did the grand gesture ask you know there were signs they shoe polished their car like whatever it was like the grand gesture or people trying to get somebody to, to marry them Instead of just asking them, there's like hot air balloons, there's horse rides, like there's all kinds of extravagant things. Or maybe some of you wanted to honor your parents on their 50th anniversary or something, like some type of big thing over the moon. And this is what Mary's doing here. It's the grand gesture because she's so overwhelmed with what Jesus has done. But why does she anoint his feet? That's peculiar. You know, the, the archetype of anointing back then was anointing a king. You know, think King Arthur or something like that in our literature. But uh, in Scripture, the archetype is Samuel goes and he anoints David to be the next king. And he doesn't anoint him on the feet. Or he he anoints him on the head. So what is she doing here? I've I got a few guesses. Could be wrong, could be right, who knows. Part of me wonders if she's saying, she's anointing the feet because she's saying, I'm grateful these feet walked into our lives. When Jesus was not in Bethany, when Lazarus was on his deathbed and he's ultimately died, I'm glad these feet walked into our lives. I'm glad Jesus walked into my life and I'm thankful for these feet because I'm thankful for the presence of Jesus. I also wonder if there's this mysterious way in which she's she's merging anointing and foot washing together. We know in that culture dusty roads before the modern days of asphalt, right? They would frequently wash feet, and they would frequently provide a bowl of water and a towel when someone would come in so that they could wash their own feet. But here, Mary is washing Jesus' feet, but she's washing his feet with perfume and with her hair. And in doing so, she's combining these two great images, anointing the king and then serving someone, as if to say, this is a different type of king. It's a king that's associated with service. It's a king that's associated with sacrifice. This greatly bothers Judas. He criticizes her by saying the money can be used to help the poor. And John is really quick to assure us. I mean, John hung out with Judas. And uh, John's probably writing this gospel you know, later in his life. We think it was the last gospel he'd be written. And uh, perhaps he's forgiven Judas. But he's had many years to harbor this. Right. And he's like, let's be clear. I know that guy. I hung out with that guy. He didn't care about the poor, right? He was saying this because he was our treasurer. And later, after he betrayed Jesus, we went back and we we did the audit and discovered that guy was crooked the whole time. Like it wasn't just at the end when he betrayed Jesus for thirty pieces of silver. Like he was he was giving us a raw deal the entire time. Jesus sticks up for Mary against Judas. It says in verse seven and eight, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Verse seven may be the hardest verse of this whole passage for me to figure it out. Leave her alone. Let her keep it for the day of my burial. But she hasn't kept it. She's already used it. Like There's no keeping it here. She's not saving it for the day of his burial, unless this is the day of his burial. Because back then, so they would anoint kings, they would wash people's feet when they would come in, but then when someone died, they would anoint the body. They would anoint the body for burial. They would prepare it for burial. And so here we have Mary preparing his body for burial before he's even dead. So once again, to combine all these different images, combine all these different metaphors to say that this is not just a king. This is a buried king. This is not just a messiah. This is about to be a crucified messiah. This is the last week of Jesus' life. This is six days before Passover. This is a dead man walking as he goes into Jerusalem. And preparing his body because he's about to be this amazing sacrifice. So he's not just a king, friends. He's a sacrificial king. And this not only tells us about Jesus, but this is ultimately going to tell us about ourselves. And then in verse 8, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 15, 11, with the idea that the poor you will always have among you. We've talked about this passage many times before. Jesus could be saying, you know, there's always going to be poor among you. You're going to have plenty of time to take care of the poor. It's until, until our return, until the second coming, there's going to be poor among you. Jesus also could be saying, you know, kind of similar to what maybe Moses was saying back then, to say, hey, I know you, and you, sorry to be pointing at you, Jonathan, but like, I know you, and you're the type of person that will always have the poor among you, because I know you and your hearts are hard. And I don't know which one it is. I'm, I'm attracted to both of those interpretations. But here's, here's what we know for certainty. Many have used this to be callous. Or to be flippant about the plight of the poor. And there's no way it means that. I've heard people in my life about poverty. Well, yeah, poor you always have with you. Let's go watch the Titans game. And that is not, that is not the path of Jesus. Jesus commands us to have an urgency about the plight of the poor. And while well-intentioned Christians can disagree about the best way to alleviate poverty, no one can say it's not my concern. It must be one of our greatest concerns. So let's return to this anointing passage as we near our conclusion. As we said, as the first few verses point to us, I think the emphasis of the John 12 anointing takes root in the fact that Lazarus was raised raised from the dead in John chapter 11. But it also takes root in what's happening in John chapter 13. John 11, Lazarus raised from the dead. John 12, Mary then anoints Jesus' feet. But then we're not done with feet. You've heard John 13 before. John 13 is when Jesus, at the Last Supper kneels down and washes the disciples' feet. So notice how all these passages interpret themselves. Just as Mary anointed Jesus' feet, Jesus seeks to wash the disciples' feet. And just as he washes the disciples' feet, he teaches them to go out and wash each other's feet. John chapter 13, verses 14 and 15. Jesus says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Do we see the trajectory of this teaching? John serves Mary by raising her brother. So then Mary serves and honors Jesus by anointing Jesus' feet. So then Jesus serves the disciples by washing their feet. But then he turns to the disciples and says, now it is your turn to do as I have done. Because resurrection is coming, we can live in a different way, as the Lazarus story uh, shows us. And then he looks at them and says, I want you to be like Mary. I want you to go out and be people of an anointing. When they realized Jesus was the Messiah, they thought they knew everything there was about him. But Jesus takes them deeper, he gives them a clearer vision of who he is. He's not just the Messiah, but he's a suffering Messiah. He's not just the king, he's a humble, crucified king. He's not just a ruler. He's a serving ruler. And it's not just for us to appreciate. It's for us to be invited into. I've been going through 2 Corinthians recently because we're going to be reading 2 Corinthians on our Wednesday night gatherings together. And there's this part of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22 that really jumped out at me this week. It says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, Set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit. And that one line there where it says, you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. Well, the word Christ is the Greek word for anointed one. So think of it this way. You stand firm in the anointed one who anointed you. The anointed one anoints us. Right here in this passage, Mary anoints Jesus for his cross and for his burial and Jesus went to the cross for us, but the story is not finished. We're working into this progression in the coming months here because Jesus will sit at the Father's right hand and he will anoint every single one of us with the Holy Spirit. And when we have that anointing, we are sent out to serve others. And this drastically shapes our expectations. You know, this is the main passage we keep coming back to in the time of Lent. It's on the banners you walk out this morning. The counterintuitive nature of the gospel and the counterintuitive nature of discipleship. Because if you want to save your life, you must lose it. And if you want to find your life, you must lose it. But if you give up your life to follow Jesus, you will find it. Friends, we do not find meaning and purpose by chasing meaning and purpose. We do not find success and fulfillment by chasing success and fulfillment. Instead, we serve we sacrifice, we humble ourselves, no matter what anyone else is doing, and we follow Jesus. And then in a, in a way that will even surprise us the older we get, we say, I turned aside from meaning and purpose and fulfillment and success, and I followed Jesus. But then I woke up one day and my life had a ton of meaning, had a ton of purpose, had a ton of fulfillment, and even had a ton of success. Maybe different from the world standards of success, but a lot of success. Because Jesus made all the difference. As we near the table, let's meditate on this one question. What has Jesus done for you? And Mary, she had a long answer. And it led to an amazing response of gratitude. And let's consider this morning what Jesus has done for us and what is welling up in our hearts. Let's stand together and sing. We saw thee not
2: when thou didst come to this poor world of sin and death, nor yet beheld thy cottage home in that despised Nazareth, but we believe thy footsteps trod its streets and plains, the Son of God, but we believe thy footsteps trod its streets and plains, the Son of God. We not when lifted high, amidst that wild and savage true, nor heard we that in glory for they know not what they do. But we believe the deed was done, that shook the earth and veil the sun, but we the living with the dead. But we believe, that angel said, why seek the living with the dead. We walk not with the chosen few who saw thee from the earth ascend,
3: who raised to heaven
2: their wandering view, then low to earth all prostrate man, But we believe, But we believe that human eyes beheld that journey to the skies. Please
4: be
1: For communion, four hundred forty-two, four four two. <coughs>
5: when we come out of the other side, um, and we see hope in the future, basically. And we can read through the, throughout the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, that that is a theme. Uh, from the creation itself, um, to the history of the nation of Israel, to the writings of the prophets, um, and on to the New Testament and the ministry of Christ and the, uh, the uh, early church, and their ministries, we can see that that hope was always there. And I know today in the lectionary readings that we have, um, it's, it's apparent there as well. Like in Isaiah, it says, I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people. The people who, whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. And in Psalms, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who gives out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come with shouts of joy, bringing the sheaves with him. That's hope. And the, re- the writings of Paul, you know, Shannon's going to read Philippians here in a little while. But Paul, you know, that's, that's a theme in his writings. He was a Pharisee. He, he had zeal for the law. He was justified in the law. But um, as, he, as he came to know Christ, he realized that all that training, all those years of training, all that he did that he thought was is so righteous, he had to count that as a loss. But he didn't see that as a bad thing. He saw that as hope because he knew what well, we all know, that there's nothing that we can do all by ourselves to, to justify our salvation. We need Jesus. So nothing illustrates that more than the, what we do here at the table every Sunday. Uh, one of the great things of our, our tradition is we do this every Sunday. Um, we celebrate the, the uh, sacrifice on the cross, and we celebrate the resurrection, because we know that's what gives us hope. So um, as we think about that and, and meditate on that before we, we pass the tray, let's uh, go ahead and pray. Dear
2: God,
5: we know we live in a broken world, and there's so much, there's so much hurt, um, both right now and there always has been. But we come here this morning with hope, with hope for the future, because because of you and what you've done, uh, the sacrifice on the cross. And we, as we pass this bread this morning, that represents your son's broken body on the cross, we ask that you bless it. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Okay. <laughs> Let's pray, dear God. uh, We come before you this morning, uh, the second part of our our communion practice, to 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 pass the wine, and we ask that you bless
6: it uh, as the representation of your Son's
5: blood that that fell from the cross that day. And we know that uh, our salvation is only in you, and we praise you and know that so much that, that took place and that nothing replaces the resurrection, nothing that we do, nothing that we can ever do can, can replace that. Your son's and every pray. Amen.
1: 671. Actually, Shannon remembered the phrase in this song that goes with her readings. She's the one to remind me. 671. There's
2: a royal banner given for display to the soldiers of the king. As an ensign fair we lift it up today, while as ransom one we sing.
3: Marching on,
2: marching on, for Christ count everything but laws. And to crown Him King, in toil and sing, deep the banner of the cross. Over land and sea, wherever man may dwell, make the glorious sign. Of the Crimson Banner, now the story tells. disappeared, and across the world shall sway, marching on.
6: in the bulletin, but the the text that's printed there is only through 11, but it's so good at 14 that we're going to keep rolling. Um, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by all means, any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained or am already made perfect, but I press on. If so, that I may lay hold on that from which I was laid hold on by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself yet to have laid hold, but one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind and stretching forward the things which are before. I press on toward the goal, under unto the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He walked away from all of the the high levels he had in his previous faith to take Jesus, and he keeps stretching toward it all the time. So I pray that for each of us this week and every day, that we don't stand on religious ceremony, that we press forward to become more like Christ, to learn more about Christ, and to be him in our lives every day. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Um, I'm gonna start off with the birthdays and anniversaries because I love that part of the announcements. Um, special uh, happy anniversary to Clay and Marianne. Number one, awesome. Um, you ever like have some friends, and you just think, like, what a couple. Like you, man, God is good. You guys are just like the perfect, like it, I don't know. Yeah, it's awesome. I'm so excited for you guys. Um, <laughs> happy birthday tomorrow to Shannon and uh, your birthday twin Hank and um, and uh, maybe hello from beyond, Hank. We haven't seen you in a while, but but I'm thinking of you, um, imagining you running around in your yard down there. And uh, where, is where is that? Yeah, yeah Fairview Yeah, way down there. Beautiful place. Um, I see that uh, Sarah and I are having an anniversary this week. <laughs> Thank you, Amy Spivey. Um, I, I, it's hard to forget, but like, never mind. But, anyway, um, Also, think of Don Jennings. Send him, send him a note. Um, I miss him a lot lately. Um, the pandemic has been lame like that. Uh, so again thanks to uh, Bob for the t-shirt Cedars Lebanon the the retreat was a lot of fun I am super sore today uh, from playing Quidditch and kickball Um, yeah Ashley was joking about how like Matt you're gonna need some ibuprofen I did need some ibuprofen (laughs) it took a little while but yes I was so sore last night Um, again, thanks to Ryan, Chris, and Paul, and as well as Doug and Melody for, for hosting our kids and, and, and driving our kids around um, to Dollywood. I, they had a great time. Um, just a couple things coming up that are going to be uh, cool, cool opportunities. Uh, we're going to go sing with Judy on Wednesday. That's going to be super awesome. So the, the address is there. That's going to kind of be um, in place of our Wednesday night gathering. Uh, as well as if you look a couple, a couple Wednesdays out, um, our friends at Friends Life are gonna be um, hosting a blood drive, and so um, think about that. Um, it's a great way to kind of serve the community. Um, people need blood, for sure. Um, keep an eye out for the egg hunt. Um, that'll be next week. Um, for kids fourth grade and under, um, that'll be a lot of fun. If you've never witnessed that here, it's, it's hilarious. Um, it's after church. It's just it's good times. So, um, yeah. And then keep an eye out, those of you with kind of older teens, um, we've got the work camp coming up in June if your kids would like to participate. Your kids do not have to be geniuses of, like, maintenance. Um, believe me. <laughs> um, there are adults who help make sure that the paint – they usually do painting, and it gets done, and they do a great job. And um, it's a great way for our kids to help out in Nashville. JP? And that forum, I did by
4: the next week. Okay. So today would be
0: great. Next Sunday is the deadline. All right. Next Sunday is the deadline. Let's, yeah, let's let's keep on that. Um, just continue to remember our folks um, that are in cancer treatment and, and other folks um, that, you know, are missionaries and, and, and things like that. There's more things coming up if you if you see. Um, and we got a, a, fun, a lot of fun stuff coming up this summer, hopefully. Um, is there anything else beyond that? JB? Austin and
4: Erica had their baby yesterday. <sighs> Judah Lee Nichols, born at 11.44 yesterday morning, 7 pounds, 3 ounces, 20.5
0: inches full. Those are the stale. And mom's doing great, right? You're, you know, yeah, all things considered, <laughs> right? Um, all right. Um, well, I'm, with that, there is coffee, and I know for a fact, I've seen it with my eyes. There are donuts. You've been listening to 900 Ackland Avenue, the podcast for the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ. If you'd like more information about our community, our church website is http colon Thanks again for joining us. God bless.